Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello and welcome to the Become Fire podcast. This is your temporary host, Anthony Mazza, and I am joined by... Father Anthony Tinker, once again. Very happy to be with you, Anthony. You know him, you love him. I love him too. He's a good he's a good boss, good priest. Um, we've been going through this book, Sexual Identity. Uh, it's a series of essays. Uh, you're probably, if you're listening to this, you're probably tracking with us. Uh, we just did the philosophical uh, understanding, the philosophical approach to this. Now we are moving to the biological, which I know, Father, you said you were looking forward to. Loved it. Well, far, I mean, I've, I've only read two chapters because I'm reading kind of as we're going, <laughs> but um, I loved this chapter. It really helped me just to give you all the preview um, because he talks about like the genetic deficiency or the, 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 the things we talk about, like uh, these mm-hmm. androgynous situations where someone's born with, with both the male and female genitalia. Like, what do we do with this? And I was like, uh, yeah, like, what do I do with this? Like, explain it to me. And she just like <laughs> walks it through. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. This makes a lot of sense. And that was very helpful to me um, because, yeah, you hear the, the, these cases become like the case points for a lot of people mm-hmm. of like, well, what about those who are born both with male and female genitalia? And you're like, um, and so though it's only like 0.1% of the population, um, you know, and exceptions make bad rules. At the same time, you need to be able to explain it. And so now I feel like I have a good grasp um, of this explanation. So very excited about that. Yeah. And there's something, even if, even if we don't make a rule on it, we do have to consider like, in that person, we just talked about how important it is to consider your sexual identity and then communicate your sexual identity. And even even though it's the most common one, I think we go through today. She said it's one in twelve thousand babies, so very uncommon. But that person does have to figure out how am I going to express my sexual identity? What is it going to be? So, and I want to start here, like we ended last time. Probably should have started last time, like with pastoral sensitivity. Like there mm. are people out there who are really struggling. And maybe they're struggling with one of these disorders um, and and they're, they're kind of trying to figure this out. And um, oftentimes, almost all of these are infertile. Um, mm. And so like they have to struggle with the infertility because of this. So one, it's just sensitive to them. And two, just sensitive to the whole issue that we're talking about, that there's people who struggle with their sexual identity. And and so we're biologically going to go through what it means to be male, what it means to be female. And there's there's some people out there like, um, I don't feel that way. And so this is to try to be helpful. This isn't try to bash it in your face like you're wrong. Um, it is to try and present truth and present, you know, well, from the biological level, like this is what we have as male and female because we have to speak truth to the situation. That the speaking the, the, the truth of the situation is to show people, well, there really is only male and female. There really is only male connected to man and female connected to woman. And so what do we do with that from there? How do we pastorally sensitive, sensitive to you who are struggling with your maleness or your manhood or your femaleness or your womanhood? Um, which is a different question and we'll get to that. Um, but this is just uh, a part of, of getting to the facts so that we can prepare ourselves to be pastorally sensitive to those who are struggling, who are out there. Amen. That's good. Um, all right. So uh, she, just to provide a little outline here, she she's, says she's going to offer a step-by-step account of the biology of male and female. Now, notice she said male and female, not man and woman, just male and female, for starters. Probably human male and female, just going back to our definitions. And then she she has, a, we understand this in a few ways. At first, we understand who is a man and a woman by their, one, external presentations. Then, 
we go down to the reproductive organs. Then we go down to the tiny cells used in reproduction and gametes. And then the molecular differences between males and females. So there's four levels. Um, and Father, why don't you just walk us through what she says about the external presentations? And, and so she, what she's, we're talking biology. It's like just first from the external glance, you can tell if it's a man or a woman just by the, they're born, you know, even a baby in the womb, you <laughs> look down and you say, oh, that's a boy or that's a girl, you know, based on whether or not they have the male genitalia or not. And so there's a dimorphism. That's the, that's basically, there's a difference. There's two different options here, male or female, and they have different physical appearances. Um, so, you know, women uh, can get pregnant. Um, they have breasts um, and just externally, they have the female genitalia. Mm -hmm. male um, has the male genitalia. You can see that from the external and usually has a greater muscle mass and made it muscles, uh, you know, strength. And actually this was interesting. I found that there's actually like, it's the benefit is that men have a little more muscle mass, but the drawback is they take more energy consumption. Yeah. They have a higher risk of infection um, and they have a decreased longevity. They don't live as long. So the increased muscle mass to help protect, you know, um, and, and to hunt, et cetera, has its drawbacks as well. Um, so I just found that very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but it does help. Why? Because externally talking about, um, and we'll get into this, the the, the male sperm um, has needs to be strong in order to get in. The strongest kind of sperm is one that gets in to the, uh, the egg in order to um, reproduce. And so there's something about the strength, you know, that increased muscle mass, the, the strength of that in order for the sake of reproduction. And so mm -hmm. it's really going to focus on a lot of this, the male and female aspects that we see externally are really focused on the fact that reproduction, you know, and this is why, you know, because we're going to go deeper and deeper in these levels, um, that the, 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 these external approaches are um, so important. And then two, she also talks about like, we are, we really are a team approach mm. to the building of society that men have gifts and women have gifts and they're different. Uh, from just on a biological level, um, and these gifts work together. Um, and then she kind of gets in a little bit to the kind of um, like that that men uh, prefer rough physical play and competition, and women have increased affinity for communication, emotional bonding. And the effects about these are that men are able to better compartmentalize and sequentially orient tasks and problem solving, and women are more often seen as interconnection interconnected and, and able to integrate and these are both gifts to society mm -hmm. so it's, it's not we're not talking about like one's better than the other uh, one's preferable to the other it's saying no we really need both of these not only for the sake of reproduction which is why we have them but also for the sake of the building of society and for the sake of the raising of children that the, what the male brings and what the female brings are both important to the rearing of children yep yeah that's right um but but we all kind of have the sense that this external presentation is not sufficient to understand the difference between, between men and women because uh, we've we've probably all experienced especially as children you misidentify yeah. <laughs> you you call a, a man mrs or ma'am and you you find a woman you say thank you sir as in i think we've all had this awkward encounter as a kid because sometimes external presentation is not enough right to identify a, a man and a woman so then she gets into uh genitalia right the genitalia um, which is basically the, um, <clears throat> you know, the male genitalia and the female genitalia, uh, for our, for our audience out there, we're not going to name them, but, uh, I think we know what we're talking about here, uh, that what you can see from the externals and, um, that there is something in the, the creation of, um, of these genitalia that have to do from the very beginning 
of um, uh, of the reproductive process from the very moment that an embryo is formed. The embryo is when the, the sperm meets the egg. Um, that male, the male embryo, it sec- secretes testosterone, which directs formation of the male genitalia. So mm-hmm. actually, I found this very interesting. I didn't know this that an embryo is automatically going to become female. Right. It's geared female. But the male embryo, when you have that Y chromosome, it starts excreting this testosterone, which it allows for the development of the male genitalia instead of the female. Um, And um, and it produces this protein, AMH, um, an anti-malarian hormone uh, that causes the uh, the, the, the default female internal structures to regress. So again, your, your, the embryo is defaulted to a female, but the, when it, the Y chromosome enters into the embryo, when it's a, um, the XY chromosome, it's a male embryo, two things happen that testosterone is extruded and the, this protein is released to that regress the default female internal structures, which I found really, really fascinating. Cause I had no idea that there was this default, like an embryo is just going to default in one direction, mm-hmm. but um, that the male, the, the XY chromosome changed that. And that's really important when we get into the, where they're defi- de- defective, you know, in the very beginning some of these problems we're going to get into. That's right. Yeah. And she says, I love this line, despite the complexity of these signals, the signals from AMH, um, for greater than 99.9% of men and women, these developmental processes occur without difficulty, which is just kind of amazing that this, this, even in, even when the embryo is right after conception, this process starts yeah. where it's directing you towards male or female. Well, and also interesting that she said, well, sometimes there's some issues that we talked about the, not only the external, but also the filming of the genitalia. And these issues can be due to a lack of nourishment. Um, you know, so if a person's undernourished, it can delay puberty um, in women. Um, even fertility can be impaired and under and being undernourished. So nourishment is actually really important. And also this is really interesting, anxiety and, and other or another impediments uh, can make it difficult to um, to reproduce. And it can affect your emotions and your psychology. But also, but it, so it's really this. There's the anxiety that can really affect the the function of the genitalia as well. So for all you anxious people out there, let go of your anxiety. You know, <laughs> be free. Um, it can it can affect the the work of your genitalia. So genitalia have a natural again ninety nine point nine percent of the time are, are working function etc. But there's times when there's not good function or not good working, and these can be due to a malnourishment, anxiety, or other issues. Um, but in general, this is the case. You know, male uh, male genitalia fully working, female woman fe- uh, working a female genitalia working properly. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we want to clarify too, genitalia, she says, refers to external and internal. So right. ovaries would be part of that consideration because those and testes, the, they would be forming throughout the course of puberty. They start to develop in different ways based on your, I think she says your pituitary gland. Obviously this is, she doesn't go through, this is not a uh, like life science textbook or biology right, right. textbook for us, but she's trying to give us an overview about how these things um the dimorphism starts early and then just gets accentuated in terms of um, genitalia. So not just your secondary sex characteristics, they'd be referred to as primary. Um, all right, but then she says even that is not, she says our work is not finished. Um, so we've begun to offer an answer to the question of what a male and what a female is by looking at external and then looking at genitalia. But we know that there's there's more at play here. And that's when she starts talking about the she calls them the tiny cells 
that we produce that cause reproduction and how those are actually very different between men and women. <laughs> we just have to say it. She's talking about the gonads. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's hilarious. It's a scientific term and it's absolutely hilarious. And I started reading it. Like, like, this is hilarious. I'm just a teenage boy still in many ways. But yes, we're talking about yeah, well, the into these internal aspects. We'll address this person. in the psychological chapter. Yes, but yes, how, yes. I need, you and I can't repressed, like, say this without laughing. <laughs> but we are talking about, you know, the, um, the, the what forms the, the ovaries and the testes. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, 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 the, 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 the gonads, the internal organs, the cells that help to form those. Um, and, and she says the way that these gonads work speaks to the complementary design of mm-hmm. males and females. And maybe nowhere else is it, is it so obvious how complementary we are. And it just says the difference, I love this, these lines, the difference where male and female genetic con- contributions are united at conception is perhaps the most fundamental difference between male and female. Because the egg becomes very large with the nutritious uh, cytoplasm, um, and it's ready to be a host of two sets of DNA. So she's saying in, in the egg of a woman, that actually the egg expands because it's about to receive two sets of DNA, the woman's DNA and the man's DNA. So when the when egg is fertile, it's expanding and ready to receive versus um, the, the male, uh, the sperm, that it becomes this tight package of DNA. It's like a delivery mm-hmm. system and it develops a long tail to propel the DNA towards the package. So that, that even in, in this, this internal cell, this very intimate part of the, uh, who we are, that there's this male, a part of his um, internal uh, sexual function is creating something that is a DNA package. His DNA put together in a package with a long tail as a delivery system. <laughs> and the woman's um, egg you know, her, it, it is preparing to receive the package. And just saying this, this, like fundamentally, at the very beginning, you want to look at the internal structure of who we are, like it's shown right here in our very, very, very basic biology. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the smallest little, in the smallest cells that are part of reproduction. Yep. Obviously, there's, there's an obvious parallel between the woman's uterus, which is preparing to receive a growing child in it. That's paralleled in the egg, which is amazing. Um, so then, then, then she goes to, uh, she calls it molecular differences mm-hmm. with the whole organism. Can you, can you unpack this for me? Yeah, so it, basically every cell in the body is, um, has specific modifications that, that trigger is it male or is it female. So each parent is contributing half of the child's DNA. Um, and so the function of the gene, whether it's the male or the female, is actually affected by if it's the gene coming from the dad or coming from the mom. I find that really fascinating. So you have you know, a lot of your genes, you have your, your, your chromosome, your XY or your XX and your, your 46 different, mm-hmm. but in, in your genes, and some are active from the male and some are active from the female, right? Um, and how it affects, and she doesn't use this example, but what I thought of was like hair color. Like mm. there's the dominant and the recessive. So there's the dominant aspect of the gene and the recessive part of the gene. And whatever is dominant, if it comes from the dominant from the man or if it's dominant from the woman, it actually affects how the cell acts. That's because the dominant side is coming from the man or the dominant side is coming from the woman. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Um, had no idea about that. And th- that's why she says, like, we actually can personalize medicine. Like a male medical treatment for a certain situation or a female medical treatment that's actually going to look different because the cells are different at this very basic level. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah, she says in many ways this this difference in the function of the cells 
reflects the ref the relative roles of mothers and fathers throughout life. For example, paternal genes, those expressed from the father's DNA, often tend toward increased body size, whereas maternal genes, those expressed from the mother's DNA, tend toward smaller size. So that's, that's just like fascinating that if the genes which are determining your size are coming from your dad, it's is she saying that you're more likely, like you're, it's going to tend to make you a bigger person. I, I mean, I'm going to go back to the hair. This is what I thought of. She doesn't use <laughs> the example, but like I'm balding. Um, is that because my dad, that was the, the dominant gene in that. And so because of the dominant gene, I'm like losing my hair. Mm. Or is it because it's the woman, you know, it's my, from my mom and you, it's not as strong. I don't know. You know? <laughs> uh, but is that because my mom and dad have the same color hair, you know, but one gene could be, have dominated the other one. And so I have a brother who has like a full head of hair and rubs it into the rest of us, <laughs> right? And, you know, I'm, I'm balding, you know? So what is it, does that mean that actually mom, like who's, who the dominant gene is in the hair is actually from a different parent. I don't know, mm, yeah. I, but that's, just, that's the example that I was like thinking of um, when when looking about this. And there's probably different, yeah, that, that the fact that it comes from both, like it could be from mom or from dad, mm -hmm. but how it affects you depends on whether it was mom or dad that it came from. That's interesting. That is really cool. Um, all right, I think at this point, it's probably the most interesting part in this, and we just will break down all the examples she goes through and is all the disorders. So with all that in place, what we kind of find is that all of those things can get messed up a little bit. The process of the development of all four of those areas, and that's where these disorders of sexual development, they call them DSDs, disorders of sexual development, come from. Um, Father, let's just walk through what these are and then kind of what she offers as conclusions for how they identify. No, I, I do agree. This, this is a really important section for understanding. Um, so she said, there's, this is all normal. We talked about the normal process. You can read the chapter to really get through the normal process, but there's times when things go wrong. And this uh, can result from defects in the genetic information within the DNA, which is contributed from the mother or father. Or in other cases, it can be an abnormal sorting of the sex chromosomes, which occurs in the sperm, the egg, or the zygote, leading the embryo to lack the necessary signals to form a fully functioning testes or ovary. Um, so th there's two different ways in which it happens. It, it can result from um, what's coming from mom and dad, the genetic information from mom and dad's a little bit off, or once formed, mm. you know, that there's something uh, abnormal that uh, has... It affects the function, the fully functioning or the forming of. Um, but uh, again, this says other situations, there are abnormal levels of hormones that alter the appearance. So there's all these different things that can cause it. But something she's saying, in whatever the case, in each case, something went wrong with the normal process of sexual development. Mm -hmm. Right? That in any of these cases, that there's the normal process, and each of these things we're going to talk about is something went wrong in the process which is really important because, you know, we're talking about the forming of the male or the female. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if this is a good parallel, but I, I just thought to myself, like, we know sometimes uh, people are born without missing limbs, like missing an arm. Yeah. We don't, because of those cases, we don't say, you know, we're actually not sure if humans are two-armed things normally, where we have to, we have to consider that maybe humans are not supposed to have two arms. And, the, and people are trying to take these exceptions and say, no, I think these are indicating that there is actually like a, a third option. Instead of yeah. male, female, there's actually a real third option. And she's saying no, because it's always falling short yeah. of what, what the goal was. 
And so she says, let's go through some specific examples. All right, let's do it. Um, the first one she goes through is uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, C-A-H. It's one of the most commonly observed DSDs. Um, and again, uh, we're going to use that term DSD, uh, disorders of sexual development, um, DSD. Um, so it's um, caused by the defect in the function of the enzymes that make steroid hormones in the adrenal gland. Um, and so the body will respond by trying harder to make this, this hormone. So because the, mm. there's something affected, the body's going to try harder. Um, and so because it's trying harder, um, this, uh, uh, there's elevated production um, in the male hormone. So basically she used the example of consider like a dam in a river. Like when the river uh, is dammed up, the, the water behind the dam overflows and um, flows over the riverbanks, flooding the surrounding land. Um, so this happens when in male infants. So when they're affected, they'll uh, be born um, with normal male genitalia. It's not a problem. But when it's female, so if the zygote is female, what happens is the, there's excess testosterone. Um, and the excess testosterone will cause um, this virilization during pregnancy. Um, and if left untreated, depending on the degree it affected, um, she'll actually have the genital structure of a small um, male uh, genitalia mm-hmm. on her female body. So there will be a, a small male genitalia on her. Um, and so what can happen is the nice thing is um, there is treatment for this um, because it's, uh, it's due to brain signaling. Um, and so the ability, to, uh, un, uh, usually that can actually, cons- uh, th- these females can actually still bear children. Um mm-hmm. And, and so they can do some uh, hormone therapy depending on how early it comes. Um, it's relatively e- easy to figure out, oh, this, even though there's a small genitalia, this actually is a woman because he also has the female genitalia. Mm-hmm. It's just this extra testosterone caused her to, to grow the male genitalia, even though it's not a part of, she's XX chromosome. And so they can, you know, they can do some surgery, they can do some hormone treatment and like, they're just, they look like girls, they act like girls. Um, they, they, because they are fully female and yet they're born with both. But again, she's like, there's just extra testosterone. This she's still, this is an XX chromosome. Biologically, it's these, they, they can actually bear children within them. The, the, the male testes is not, um, able to reproduce. Mm-hmm. It's not something that has the ability. Um, and so this is just someone, and she says most people just with CHH rec- recognize they are female and identify as female and act as female. Cause that's pretty much, and they're able to bear children. It's pretty much who they are. There's just been some extra testosterone in the, the formation process. Yep. And so that one seems like it's pretty, that one's pretty clean. Um, the next one she goes through is androgen insensitivity, AI. Um, this is results in people's possessing chromosomes typical of men but genitalia typically of women. Um, and then she says there's a complete or partial. Um, so what can happen is um, in complete androne, androgen insensitivity, a person with the 46XY karyotype, which is male, um, will be born with a normal female appearing external genitalia. Um, yet rather than ovaries, they'll have testes. Um, so basically- but inside their body, Inside right? their body. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they, um, they, they, because of the way the, um, the body is functioned, they're, they're, they're an XY chromosome, but they look like females. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, oftentimes in incomp- the complete situation will develop breasts. Um, 
they're actually recognized and affected as females. They look like females, they act like females, and yet they're XY. And this goes back to, we talked in the beginning, how the, the embryo's default is female. It's only the male embryo because it, that releases the extra testosterone and this protein that prevents the development of the female genitalia. Um, when that is affected, it, the, that protein isn't there and the, there's not as much of the testosterone. The female genitalia is just going to develop and not the mm-hmm. male genitalia. And so this is an interesting case because it is um, a, a, a woman who looks like a woman and who has a female genitalia, is infertile, cannot bear, but cannot bear children and has the mm-hmm. XY chromosome. Yeah. Um, and this, and, this one surprised me. Cause I, yeah. I think sometimes I, we, it's very common to be like, Oh, it's in our chromosomes, like X, Y, man, X, X woman. But her point is that there's uh when it comes to reproduction, there's like a copulative part, the act itself. And then there's like a, a fertility part. Yeah. She says they're infertile, but they're able to, um, perform the sexual act as a woman yeah. and they look like a woman and they, nothing, Nothing except their chromosomes make them seem like a man at all, and the, and 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 then they're enough yeah, times the you testicles. don't even know about this, which says yeah, you, you don't wouldn't know until the adult. Like you're you're married and you're trying to have kids and you can't, and they're like, oh, you're actually X Y. Um, yeah, exactly. But and, and so what she's basically saying is like, well, yeah, it, it, the, the chrome. It's just the chromosome didn't. It, it the embryo is supposed like the default male. So the default female just took over. That's right. And, and just became female. And so it's basically like just a woman with XY chromosome. Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately infertile. Um, but not, she's like, this is not a third category. Mm-hmm. We're not, this is not some new, one, it's really rare. But two, the act looks like woman, acts like woman. Like it, it, it just because the chromosomes are XY, it, it, the, it, it just, the embryo hit its default, which is to grow, to become a female. And there's some proteins that were not there that create a male. And so she's like, this is not a third category of person. Um, this is simply, you know, a female who's infertile. Yep. Yep. That's helpful. All right. What's next? The swear S W Y E R swear syndrome, um, in which the person does not have developed gonads. Um, this is, uh, basically, um, the default development is female. And, uh, so, um, and again, this person have normal appearing female external genitalia. However, in the place of the normal ovary, um, all that will be present is undifferentiated tissue, undifferentiated tissue known as the street gonad. Um, the person will then be infertile. Um, and again, this person can be an XY chromosome. Um, this could be you know, simply a, a regular woman XX chromosome who is uh, infertile, or it could be an XY chromosome. Um, the person oftentimes has to go get estrogen to go through normal puberty because what's happened, the, the difference between this one and the last one is it, it, the production of the estrogen, the production of those hormones doesn't happen. And so um, they- uh, They actually wouldn't go through puberty normally. Right, they even. would need estrogen to go through puberty. But they, they, it's again, they have the female um, genitalia and they're gonna look like women. They do need some, but they're not gonna go through period. They're gonna to need to get some estrogen in order to happen, but luckily there's biological treatments uh, in order for this to happen. And uh, and we'll get into a little bit, because she asked the question at the end of this one, how can sex be understood when the chromosomes are male and the external appearance is female? Right. Which is the, from these last two. Yeah, but then she, she wants to bring up one more case, which I think is um, probably the hardest one. Yeah. <laughs> the mixed gonadal de- dysgenesis. This is the one we think about where the two embryos, one male and one female, fuse together to form a chimera. 
um, basically you have this mixture between the XX and the XY. Um, and so it's various how this affects the person, um, but they have, can have a spectrum of abnormalities and they're always going to be infertile, um, which again, we talk about the infertility. That means something didn't go right in the process, which is why there's infertility. Something went wrong in the process. Um, they might be able to assume either the male or the female role in copulation, um, but um, it's kind of unambiguous when they're born. They kind of have both <laughs> yeah. um, genitalia and both kind of slight, might be functioning genitalia. Um, that, that's really, and so they basically, what she's, her recommendation is this, is we just have to like wait on assigning a sexual with this person. Cause sometimes one of the uh, chromosomes will take over a little more than the other. And it'll be clearer. Like I said, they might be able to be able to form sexual function with one of these mm. uh, and, and, and kind of what develops um, might be. And, and, and then the person can really get involved in the process of, of this because they'll know how much estrogen is in the body, how much testosterone, you know, where are we looking? And then they can add testosterone, estrogen, et cetera. Again, really, really difficult case, um, but a very rare case. And it's, again, something that's abnormal where the XX and the XY have, have come together and formed this chimera. But again, we know it's abnormal because it's infertile. It's not something where this person's able to, to, to reproduce um, of their, you know, because it, something abnormal has happened in this, in the development of the genitalia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, I mean, what's the, what's the final answer she gives to that question? Like, um, how can people have an male chromosomes, chromosomes, but female genitalia, how do you? Okay. So, um, she, she starts with an example and she says, basically a woman who has her ovaries removed as a part of cancer treatment does not cease to be a woman. Right. So that the genitalia themselves do not determine male or female. So we have these cases where, you know, like we talked about before, the genitalia are different, but it really is uh, basically the, the embryo is deformed as a woman. Um, and, um, the, the, the DSDs, they basically, even despite all these difficulties, um, et cetera, they, they these DSDs cannot be taken to indicate the existence of more than two complementary sexes. Mm-hmm. So her response is basically people with ambiguous genitalia do not represent a third or addition of additional sexes. There are two and only two gonads that contribute to human reproduction, right? Even with the chimera, there's just the male gonad, the male genitalia and the female genitalia. Mm-hmm. Like there are one or two. Like, and sometimes, unfortunately, these mix together or sometimes there's a woman externally who has the, the but she has the XY chromosome. Again, if she, if it's a woman externally in every aspect, except there's this XY chromosome, well, it's like, just because there's something, you know, you take away the ovary, says he's not a woman anymore. Like there's something deeper to womanhood than just even the chromosome. Um, that, yeah. that, that, because again, the chromosome, it was, this chromosome wasn't, didn't have the right testosterone and protein to form you know, into a male, it formed into a female. Um, and, and there's, cause there's something, you know, which is a part of the forming of the, uh, of who this person is in the development. And this, like, this mm-hmm. is how the chromosome developed. This is how the embryo developed. And we can, we can point to that. And, uh, and then again, there's just two different, there's the male genitalia, a female genitalia, and you have the male or you have the female, whatever mm-hmm. it develops. And, uh, and, and so it, it just, it's not some kind of third category. Yeah, and she to support that, I think she says, um, what is most important for the understanding of sexual identity is how an individual develops with respect to the innate roles of male and female members of a species in the reproductive process. So mm-hmm. there's in that that was kind of like a that was an interesting answer to me because it's not an easy one. It's like how how do these things develop in these in 
for the most part, it's very easy. Uh, you can, for 99.9% of people, how they develop towards the innate roles in the reproductive process is straightforward. But for these ambiguous cases, this is kind of a, a way to look at it instead of just um, wanting to say it's always one, always the other, or it's a third. You say, no, we have to look at how they develop with respect yeah. to these roles. Yeah, of and as you said, the, the mistakes about sexuality stem from a single simple error, forgetting that the primary purpose of the reproductive system is reproduction. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they're made for, and that we are complementary. And she talks about that. There's a complementarity between man and woman, which, like, there's a completion that happens in a male female couple in this act. And because that's how we're biologically designed, we are biologically designed for a male to reproduce with a female. And so any act, and she goes into, you know, acts which, uh, in which sex occurs outside of that, or she talks about IVF or third party, all these other aspects, they're taking away from what the human person is because they're bi- taken away from who we're biologically created to be. And mm-hmm. that's this complementarity of sexes where the man, the male and the female, the male, the male genitalia is almost incomplete without the female genitalia and vice versa because that's how we've been created to be. That's right. Um, we're, we're getting, we're getting close on time here. Uh, and we might have to, it might be worthwhile to maybe at the end of this, talk about some responses to certain errors and understanding. You just brought up IVF. You could talk about surrogacy, um, things like that and how, how a Catholic might respond. Um, which I think we need questions. This is why we're, what we'd like, please love to do a questions (laughs) episode. Um, so please go to info at becomefire.faith and put down your questions. Cause yes, uh, you know, she talks all about, you know, surrogacy, like what, how, why is that, that wrong, you know, for someone to one, do IVF in vitro fertilization or two, you know, um, to have a surrogate parent where it's, you know, um, someone else is carrying the child and she goes through those things. Um, machines uh, uh, near the end here. It's if a female is she who, whose form and function is ordered towards conceiving and developing new life within her body and towards serving offspring in a nourishing role, then regardless of a male's perception of himself, he does not possess the most basic physical features that define a female from a mere bi- biological perspective. It is not possible to change one's sex, regardless of whether medical techniques are developed that allow gonadal transplantation to occur. As already discussed, the conditions necessary for development of male or female sex are present for the very time of conception. That's And that's a really good point because we will get to a time when we are able to probably implant an entire female reproductive system in someone born male. Mm-hmm. But she's saying these characteristics are there at conception. That's part of the understanding from a biological perspective of male and female. It, could, you, it doesn't change your, your the cell structure of your body. That's right. Yeah. Who you are. That's really helpful. Um, all right. Cool. Well, that that concludes. Next week, we're doing psychological, right? Yeah. I'm okay. excited about that one too. Yeah, I'm excited. That'll be good. Um, so last week, you said that you would uh, go back in time to St. Francis's time. If I go back any time outside of the, after the time of Jesus and the apostles, I'd go see St. Francis. So what would you say or ask or want to know? Like what's the one thing you want to know from St. Francis? What I would ask him is I would be like, okay, Francis, can I give you a brief 800 history of the world? (laughs) Like in where we are right now. I try to develop, like tell him, here's here's what America looks like. Mm. There's just just continents. It's over there. It's called, the country is called the USA. and, uh, but I, I want to know like his perspective on what it means to live as a Franciscan in the 21st century. Like, how can I carry on what you did in the 1200s in the 20, 2000s? 
you know, what does that mean for us today? And I really want to get his mind on it and perspective and uh, and see what what his recommendations would be to how to live as a Franciscan today. That's cool. So you'd rather bring for, you'd rather bring St. Francis here. Be like, hey, take a take a live a week here and then we'll go back in time. We'll talk about it. Well, I probably don't <laughs> want to know the answer because what he's going to tell me is going to totally shame me. Because <laughs> Francis is like one of one. Yeah, like, there's no there's no like imitating him perfectly. He'd be like, well, just do what I do. I just give up everything and live on the streets. I'm like, OK, well, there's the whole show. I probably want to talk to Bonaventure. Maybe we're <laughs> 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 saying Bonaventure. Need to talk to him. You're like, thanks, Francis. Hey, all right. We need someone else. I need some nuance here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, we'll see you next week with the uh, psychological chapter. And Father, can you give us a blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.